What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Andrew Gazdecki is the founder of MicroAcquire. He's the former CEO and founder of Business Apps and Altcoin, which were both acquired. In this conversation, we discuss bootstrap businesses, MicroAcquire, how it works, who it is for, and the state of tech media outlets. I really enjoyed this conversation with Andrew, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is OKCoin. If you haven't started building your crypto portfolio on OKCoin, there's no better time. They're one of the fastest growing global exchanges around, and they have some promotions happening right now to help even more people be part of the future of finance. If you have an account already, you can split $100 in Bitcoin with a friend when you invite them to sign up for OKCoin if they buy $100 of crypto in the first month. The more friends who sign up and buy, the more Bitcoin you get. And I always recommend dollar cost averaging as a way for investors to have more control over their average price when building their portfolio. Now you can automate dollar cost averaging with complete fee-free daily, weekly, or monthly recurring buys on OKCoin until November 1st. That's right, no fees on your daily, weekly, or monthly recurring buys on OKCoin until November 1st. That's no fees at all until the holidays. Get started on the web or on their new super easy to use app at okcoin.com slash pomp. Again, okcoin.com slash pomp. If you're doing dollar cost averaging, there's no fees on okcoin. Kind of a no brainer. Go check them out. Let me know what you think. Next up is Gemini. Gemini is a leading regulated cryptocurrency exchange, wallet, and custodian that makes it simple and secure to buy, sell, store, and earn Bitcoin, Ether, and over 40 other cryptocurrencies. They offer industry-leading security, insurance, and uptime. Gemini is the go-to trusted platform for beginner and sophisticated investors alike. You can open a free account in under three minutes at Gemini.com slash POMP and get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within your first 30 days. Again, a leading regulated cryptocurrency exchange wallet and custodian that makes it simple and secure to buy, sell, store, and earn Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. In under three minutes, Gemini.com slash POMP and you'll get $20 of Bitcoin after you trade $100 or more within 30 days. Go check them out. Gemini.com slash POMP. The Winklevoss twins have been doing a fantastic job and I think you'll really enjoy the product. Gemini.com slash POMP. All right, let's get in this episode with Andrew. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs POMP Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of POMP Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Andrew here with me. Thank you so much for doing this, man. I'm excited to be here, Pomp. All right, let's jump right into uh, your background. You've got a very unique uh, kind of story in terms of the way you've built businesses and then kind of your viewpoint today. Walk me through kind of where'd you grow up and how did you get into uh, businesses and, and kind of wanting to be an entrepreneur? How much, uh, what version you want? You want the, you want the 60 second, five minute or the two hour movie version? Let's do the two minute. Okay. So uh, my background, um, I grew, I was born in Detroit, uh, moved to San Clemente when I was five. Um my dad um, actually passed away from cancer when I was six. So I grew up pretty poor uh, in a very wealthy area, San Clemente. Don't feel bad for me, by the way. My life is baller. Um, but um, from a very young age, I, you know, as an entrepreneur, like you'll, if you speak with enough entrepreneurs, you'll see a pattern that, you know, when you grow up struggling, like money becomes, you know, really top of mind. So, 
Um, I was always that kid hustling, um, just out of necessity. Like entrepreneurship is trendy at school today. Um, but for me, it was a survival mechanism. It was something that um, I was drawn to just out of necessity. And then luckily, I just, I, I really enjoyed it. So I was creating eBay stores when I was like 16. I created this like World of Warcraft affiliate website, which is kind of embarrassing to admit. Um, I probably started maybe like 10 different businesses um, and then two significant ones. Um, but yeah, just basically, uh, found my passion really, really early in life with entrepreneurship. And, um, I always say, you know, people, some people on the week, no, no offense to tennis players, but, um, some people on the weekend like to play tennis. I, I like to play startup. Um, and that's, uh, it's kind of let me, um, where I am today. I can, I can add on to that. Would you like to hear, you know, some of the other companies just, you want to keep going? Okay. So, um, Really where my entrepreneurial like like career, whatever you want to call it, took off was um, I started this company called Phone Freelancer in college. It's basically like a job board for mobile developers to connect with businesses. And this was like right when the iPhone came out. So I was in college, um, best place to probably launch a business like this. And I, I always say like um, internet, mobile, blockchain are the three biggest paradigm shifts we'll ever see in technology. And so I saw the iPhone came out and I was like, this is it. And all my friends had one. I couldn't afford one. Um, but businesses were scrambling to figure out how to build mobile applications. And a custom one would cost, say, you know, $50,000 plus. And so on my job board, I kept seeing this same functionality same feature requests and they were actually like luxury restaurants hotels uh we're paying for like loads programs um the ability to order food etc so i sold that business um for like fifty thousand bucks or something like that um but factoring in broke college inflation it felt like 18 trillion billion trillion dollars um that that was the most meaningful exit ever. That was like a whoa, because um I had never had more than I, I never had a you know five figures in my bank account. So that was the the reason I sold that business though was I saw a pattern of people asking for the same sort of mobile app to be developed, and that led to a business I started called Business App, spelled B-I-Z-N-E-S-S apps. I couldn't afford the correct business domain spelling. So I suppose it biz, um, everyone called it biz apps. Even my mom called it biz apps, um, to the point where we, we ended up having to buy the domain. We ended up buying businessapps.com spelled correctly for a hundred thousand. Then we bought bizapps.com for another hundred thousand. Cause it drove me crazy that my mom misspelled my company name. Um, so grew that company to about, 10 million in recurring revenue. We only raised about a hundred thousand dollars and did kind of like the anti Silicon Valley thing. I said, I met with every VC in the Valley, uh, got a couple term sheets or close to term sheets um, and just kind of said the business was highly profitable. Like it was a rocket ship. We grew from and I'm 21. And so it was like this weird experience. I have my previous work experience was like at Sears and like a movie theater. I got fired from a graphic design job. 
Um, so I was in the situation of this fast growing startup without any experience. Um, I'm not technical. I didn't have sales experience. I didn't have marketing experience. Um, but going back to, you know, what I said about my childhood, you know, I want, frankly, I wanted to be a millionaire. Like I want like, I just, you know, that's, you know, probably a superficial goal, but you know, without growing up with means that that was my goal at the time, it's, it's shifted more now. Um, usually that happens. You kind of, you know, uh, you know, once you kind of get some financial stability, your goals change, but, um, that, that was like my shot. I was like, this is, this is, this is insane. Like we actually have a shot at like building a, a multi-million dollar business. Um, and then the background story on that is, um, we grew it from zero. We were on Inc magazines, 500 fastest growing companies, two years in a row. Um, we stopped sharing information with them because, uh, we saw some competitors basically copying our strategy. And if you get on the Inc 500 list, you got to change your cell phone, like legit. Cause the iPhone, you know, that feature, do you have that feature on the iPhone where like it silences people you don't know? It, mine is uh, spam risk is what mine says now, or uh, it will basically tell me uh, some sort of alert that you definitely don't know who this person is. Yeah. So that, that wasn't available um, when I was on the Inc 500 list. So my phone would just blow up and I had friends that were recruiters and they would have like, they'd take a picture of like the Inc 500 list. And we were number 58, and number 91 uh, back to back. And they would be like, my boss just told me to like hit you up. So my whole team's going to be like calling you and they did. Um, so, uh, long story short on that business, um, grew it for, I operated the business as CEO for, uh, eight, nine years, uh, sold to ESW capital, uh, great outcome. Super happy with it. Um, you want details on that? Well, when you were building it, why did you not take any capital and, and kind of why did you choose to continue to build it off the cash flows the way that you did? So initially, so we went from zero to let's call it four million in the first four years. And our customer payback period was um 28 days. So meaning we didn't have typically with venture um back companies. When you acquire a customer, you'll have a customer payback period that's like 12 months. So you need that funding to support that customer acquisition cost. We didn't. So every time a customer signed up, we immediately reinvested that money back in the business. Um, it was just a beautiful business. And then the actual business, and just to give some background around, around what it did, was it was essentially a no-code app builder. So uh, we made it extremely easy to build mobile apps for iPhones, Androids. We were so early and we almost made a BlackBerry version. I'm uh, glad we didn't do that. Uh, but um, we had this inflection point where, so selling to small businesses is super hard. There's a saying where small businesses lack time, aptitude, and money, which is like the perfect storm when selling to businesses. <laughs> They don't have time. They don't have time to like learn. Uh, you know, they're very, very hard to get a hold of. Um, so there were some dark times in the businesses where, in the business where it was, it was just me running. Like I'm, I've always been a solo founder. I've never had co-founders. Um, 
And we were, I had some friends one. Um, so this was in college too. So one winter break, we cold called restaurants for, you know, it's called eight weeks winter break. Didn't get a lot of traction, grew to the, grew the business to about 30,000 in annual recurring revenue. And everyone's like, oh, this is like cold, cold calling sucks, by the way. And it's, I recommend people go through it because it definitely, you know, burns that grit into you and that you get used to rejection, which is, I think, a key trait of entrepreneurs. Um, but we had this huge inflection point um, where we started to get some coverage in um, uh, press, Every everyone from, you know, New York Times, Business Insider, TechCrunch, VentureBeat, um, because it was an interesting story, college kids, you know, trying to help small businesses. But I noticed um, this guy in Switzerland creating these apps for these big Ramada hotels. And again, I'm, I'm probably 22 at this point. Um, and I just thought it was a rich guy making apps for his hotels. So I reached out to him and I was like, hey, like you own these like huge hotels. That's badass. Like, I just want to like talk to you and like say thank you. And uh, this is where business apps changed. He, and I'm still friends with him today. His name's um, Raul. He runs a company called uh, Vendomat. And um, he explained to me that he was building apps on behalf of his customers. And so the first question I asked was, how the hell do we get you to sell more apps? And uh, he explained, if you could white label the product, which means remove all branding of business apps. So he can put his logo at his pricing. So it is kind of like a semi custom mobile app solution. Um, he would be able to sell a lot more and see um, a higher margin on the sales. Uh, and I remember literally Googling white label. I was like, what's what? And then I was like, okay. Um, well, this is going to cost us $5,000 to do it. Um, will you do any paid like within 30 minutes? And we didn't have any of the functionality built out. So we built out a reseller um, dashboard. And then from there, the business turned into mainly focusing on resellers. So we partnered with probably every web agency in the world. We were in like 40 different countries. We had 5,000 partners at our peak. Um, a number of public companies, do-yourself website builders, you know, legal, XYZ, any sort of company that sold to small businesses, we came to them with a solution that said, hey, you have small business customers. We have a way for them to connect with their customers where they are, and that's on their mobile devices. And so um, we focused on the technology, um, which allowed us to avoid um, hiring a huge sales team. So to answer your question, we just, we truly just didn't need the capital. I operated the business with 2 million cash on hand, um, pretty much for the entire time for rainy day. So we just didn't have a use, a clear use of the capital unless we wanted to move up market to enterprise, but things were going so well. And I was so young. I just, you know, like when a VC comes to you and they're like, Hey, here's like a big check. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Things seem to be going really well. So I hope that answers your question. But um, I, guess, I guess the answer is um, things, things were going well. And um, I, I, want, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to sign up for, you know, I felt I had a win in the bag and I didn't want to lose that by trying to swing bigger, if that makes sense.
Why did you sell eventually? What was the thought process there? Oh man, I was tired. Um, so we, um, so I was on another podcast. So we had over a hundred employees, um, and with 10 million revenue, that's really hard to do. So we had a huge, um, outsourced team, the entire engineering team was outsourced. Um, we, a decade ago, you could hire sales reps for like 50 K now it's like 250 K OTE. So we benefited from kind of like the rise of tech. Cause we, we started the business in 2010, um, a little after the, um, great recession. Um, and it was just a lot of management and it, it, it's, it gets very, very tiring. Um, I also felt I took the business as far as I could take it. And when you're offered an amount of cash that could, you know, secure your family's future, it's very hard to turn down. I had a fiduciary duty to my investors as well. And so, um, net net on that, I, I just was tired and got a great offer. And after eight years of running the business, I concluded I'm not going to pass this down to my uh, son, Julian. So um, it was time to sell. And so walk me through after you did that, you went to start a couple of other businesses, kind of tinkered around in a couple of different industries. Um, you can talk a bit about that, but then ultimately what drew you to uh, kind of this bootstrapped market uh, that you're building a business in today? Yeah. So the first thing I did was I wrote down the customer that I wanted to serve, which I think is really important for entrepreneurs. So any entrepreneurs thinking about like what businesses, like forget the idea, like focus on the customer and then fall in love with the problem second. Um, so what I did was I, again, I love startups. I love entrepreneurs. Like that's, that's my game. Like Pomp, if you had a baseball card, I'd, I'd collect it, man. Like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of anyone, you know, chasing like their dreams and like carving their own path in the world. Like those are my people. Um, so I wanted a business that served, um, you know, the startup community and, what I noticed was for smaller business specifically, um, I mean, business apps are probably a great example. So um, when I went to go sell business apps, um, we used an investment bank in uh, 2016. Uh, their minimum fee was $800,000. And I remember telling them, I was like, you guys have the best job in the world. Like I do all the work you guys come in at the end, make a presentation and uh, make some intros. Um, we, we did get some offers from them, but we ended up turning them down. Um, and then investment banks also have this thing called a tail. So basically any intro they make within a period, my tail was 24 months, I believe. So any intro they make, even if it's just like an email that's not responded, they get that money. Um, so uh, I decided not to sell keep pushing the business. I'm glad I did. Um, but when you look at the lower end of the market and you look at the options that smaller startups have to sell, it's very limited. It's either A, you get approached, which typically is, you know, maybe for, you know, the 1% of startups. A lot of founders think that, you know, Google kind of shows up to your door one day with a big check, like, dude, you're getting acquired. Like it doesn't work like that. Uh, unless you're growing like Slack or something like that. Um, the other options are working with investment banks and typically investment banks will only work with businesses that they believe they can sell for, you know, eight or excuse me, nine figures, high eight figures, nine figures. 
Um, and then the lower end of the market is full of business brokers. So investment banks on the higher end typically charge three to 4%. Uh, business brokers charge 15%. So if you're selling a business for, you know, let's call it like $5 million and you have a 15% fee to pay, I thought that was kind of ridiculous. And so I thought, you know, what would happen if an entrepreneur kind of stepped in and, you know, really kind of put a twist on this where it's a marketplace that favors the founders, that puts the founders in control, that really, you know, supports them and empowers them to get the best possible deal without having to pay a massive fee. And that was kind of the thesis behind MicroQuire was, you know, it's an important problem. It's a large and growing market. The current um, solutions in the market are extremely poor. Um, tons of potential to expand a market. Um, defensibility via network effects, like let's build a marketplace around this. This could be really interesting. Um, but the case in point, um, you know, the optionality for startups today to sell is just it's kind of a shit show. It's this, it's this fragmented market. You got, you got brokers, bankers, you got M and A advisors, you got M and A attorneys, you have, uh, you know, due diligence experts. And so, you know, I just saw this huge opportunity to kind of consolidate that market. And I've kind of touted this as like the Zillow M and A, like, what is your startup worth? Like you'll get 10 different answers from 10 different people. Um, and we're going to bring data to that. So we actually can like, back it up. Like this is what your startup is really worth because that can change quarter to quarter as you've probably seen over the past year with investing. Um, so that, that was, that was kind of the thesis of MicroQuire is, you know, um, startups it's the, the exit is such an important part of the founder journey. There's books on fundraising. There's books on how to grow a startup. There's books on how to find ideas, but there's, there's very limited information on, like what is due diligence? What are the proper legal like um, steps in an acquisition? What are common deal structures? How to optimize like your chances of getting acquired? How to prepare for an acquisition? None of that was written in you know the form or the perspective of a founder. It's more for a buyer. It's like a buy here's how you do due diligence as a buyer. Here's how to find the best deals as a buyer, and so. I just thought, hey, let's, you know, let's empower, let's empower uh, entrepreneurs and, you know, help them achieve a potentially life-changing exit. Because just to add on to that, it's it's super rewarding. We're paying for weddings. We're paying, we're helping people pay off debt. Like we're helping people like save, you know, potentially millions off their acquisitions. And um, I find that really, really rewarding. And that's, um, at, at this point in my career, that's that's what motivates me is, um, just really helping people at scale. Talk a little bit about what you've actually built from a software perspective. So somebody comes in, what are they doing on the buyer side or the seller side with the platform? Sure. So if you're a founder, you can list your startup entirely for free. There's zero commissions, there's zero fees, and you can come in and we ask um, questions that buyers will need to know to be interested in learning more about your startup. So that include like, what's your tech stack, who are your main competitors, um, trailing 12 months revenue, trailing 12 months profit. We also have the ability for you to connect Stripe, 
uh, Google Analytics, uh, beer metrics, profit well, um, just general, you know, revenue metrics uh, to build, you know, more trust with buyers. And then what my team does is we go in and we create a sim. And what a sim is, is basically like a pitch deck, but in the reverse form of selling the business rather than trying to raise funds. So we do, we have a full team that, and you could test me on this, like create an account, make a fake startup and see how fast we actually get you up. So that's the, the, so basically we built a more efficient way to sell a startup than what's currently available in my opinion. Um, and then on the buyer side, and let me, let me add a little bit more on the seller side. So as a seller, your startup goes live. It's completely private. You have full control over who sees your information, your website URL, any sort of documents you upload, including your P&L, your pitch deck, whatever you want to include. All of this is optional. We don't require any, we have suggestions and we give recommendations on best practices to get acquired, but um, all that is up to you. And the way that works is you, you know, you're able to review people's LinkedIn profiles. You can chat with them. And then you grant them approval to your data room, which would contain your company name, your contact info, startup URL, and all your docs. Um, on the buyer side, um, it's it's pretty it's a lot more straightforward. You basically register as a buyer. You can look around the marketplace. You can see all the anonymous listings. We never list a startup's name within a listing. It's all anonymous. So think of it as like a Ferrari shop. Um, what's your what's your favorite car pump? So I can make this fun for you. I mean, look, for me, uh, <laughs> I actually don't, I'm not into cars that much, right? My brothers love uh, all kinds of different sports cars, everything from Ferraris on down. But I would say if I had to pick something with wheels, uh, we're much more into uh, motorcycles probably than anything. All right. So it's it's a motorcycle shop and it's got, it's got the best motorcycles. It's got, I'm going to make this even funner. Uh, it's got SaaS motorcycles. It's got e-commerce motorcycles. It's got crypto motorcycles, community motorcycles. Um, and you can look at them uh, completely free as a buyer if you register. Um, but if you want to find out more information about that motorcycle, like the mileage, who is the previous owner, how do I get in talk? How do I get into a conversation with the owner of this motorcycle? Um, I'm also a motorcycle fan too, by the way. Um, uh, that's, that, that's the, that's the, the Detroit of me. I'm a, I'm a big, big, big car guy. That's my one, my, my, my one vice. Um, but you pay for that access. So you would pay a simple, um, right now it's two ninety a year. We're going to be raising that. Um, and then we verify your account. So we review your profile. We make sure, you know, you're a legitimate person. You're not just some random like if, if we can't figure out who you truly are, we, we kick you out. Um, so that increases, um, you know, the quality of buyers that reach out to startups. And then again, as those buyers reach out to startups, um, the founders have full control over um, who they approve and deny access to. So when you think about the platform itself, are there specific types of businesses? Maybe we can focus on that side first. What is the exact type of business? You, you've used uh, the word startup a few times. And so people who are listening to this who run a business and they've been running it for 10 years, are they a fit for the platform? Do you look at like time that someone's been running the business? Do you look at it in terms of revenue or profitability? And what makes the ideal customer uh, to come on and actually try to use the platform to sell a business? That's a, that's a great question. So 
we focus on really what you're buying on microcards, you're you're buying product market fit. So you're buying a company, typically software companies that have some traction and that level of traction can be, let's call it 50K a year, all the way up to 10 million a year. And we're going to be making efforts to expand up market because we believe, you know, our marketplace can service larger acquisitions. They get more complex. So we got to build some tooling to uh, really make those work. But um, yeah, like if you got like a, e-commerce company doing, you know, 20 to, you know, 20 K to 10 million, um, you're a perfect fit. Um, and the, the thought process behind that is, um, there's so many other marketplaces out there. And it just, when I looked around, it just felt like junk. Like we're basically, I don't want to buy like a starter blog. I don't want to buy an affiliate company. I want to buy a, a software company with happy customers, good product. Uh, the most typical scenario of acquisitions that I see are either they're just really good companies and they're fully bootstrapped, owned by the founders. These are companies that would never get featured in TechCrunch. Um, like the acquisition would never get covered by publications, but the founder walks away with like 5 million bucks. It's amazing. Like those, those are my heroes. And, and like, in VC land, you get a job, um, but these people are walking away millionaires. Um, so that's that's really our, our target market is um, small software companies. And then from a buyer perspective, are you seeing private equity firms, individuals, large corporations? Oh my gosh, a, a private equity through the roof. Like I would say there's probably 2000 plus private equity groups. And there's obviously a range, just like startups. There's high, There's billion dollar funds, multi-billion dollar funds. And then there's in the middle and there's um, emerging what I call micro P firms, but tons. Like when I look through our, our user list and I just type in capital, uh, P firms love to call themselves like capital, whatever, or ventures. Um, what's another term they use? You know what I mean? So there's, there's thousands in there. We also have a lot of corp dev teams from public companies, uh, venture back companies. Um, I've also seen acquisitions from VC firms, which is pretty interesting. And then other bootstrap companies too, just looking like if they find a good product with limited traction, it's built by, you know, a really good team. You know, we've seen aqua hires as well. So it, it's kind of a mixture of everything. And then we do see a lot of individual buyers as well, which is, I think, I think probably my, favorite category because those are the people where you know the, maybe they're a VP of sales at a company maybe they're a VP marketing maybe they have like a lot of experience building startups but they don't have a good idea they're more of a scaler not a builder so most of the startups on microquire are you know built by builders like the number one reason for selling on microquire is I moved on to something else or you know I've taken this business as far as I can go. And then these individuals acquire these companies and they breathe in new energy, new ideas, and you know, take that business farther than the original founder. And sometimes I see some really good structures where, you know, they give the original founder like, you know, some equity so they can come along for the ride. Um, but the the buyer group is shockingly um diverse. 
And sometimes I, I see some users sign up that I'm like, again, going back to me as like a huge startup fan. I'm like, whoa, that guy signed up? Like, holy crap. Um, but I don't email him. Like I did that Ben to Mac guy. Like, hey, can I talk to you? You're rich. Um, it's, it, it's a wide group. When you think about uh, the actual transaction itself, so you're basically helping businesses present themselves for sale. You're helping to facilitate the evaluation of the businesses, the introduction to buyers, et cetera. How many of these businesses are the founders actually looking to walk away from uh, and have somebody else run the business moving forward versus their founders actually want to sell their business, but they want to stay on and continue to, uh, to opt the business? Another really good question. That would be highly determinant of the buyer. So some buyers come in all cash, say, hey, we'll take it off your hands, 30-day due diligence. Does that sound good? Some founders are like, hell, hell yeah, like uh, that's that, that's a fantastic outcome. Um, some PE firms and buyers specifically, like if it's uh, another startup, they're probably going to want the team to come on board for a period of time. So I'd say it's probably, you know, 50 50 from just off the top of my head but um i know i'd actually say it's probably 70 percent uh basically all cash founder walks away within 90 days or maybe like a 90 days sort of like you know 50 percent cash up front 50 percent um cash after 90 days just to make sure the transition goes um correctly and then they move to a consultancy um uh, post the 90 days, just in case like a bug pops up or a customer with a weird, uh, unique, you know, payment plan or something like that, they can go and get those questions answered. Um, but then I also see, you know, teams thrilled to join other companies. Like I've seen teams like, uh, or I've also seen like mergers too, or two companies that are very similar. They, you know, buy the larger one buys the other one. Um, to bring on the talent then also the customer list. Um, so again, uh, not the most specific answer, but it's, it's kind of everything. It's everything from full buyouts, founder walks, uh, 51% where the founder stays and actually operates a business. Um, aqua hires where the team then joins the acquiring company and kind of everything in between. When you think about uh, kind of a success story, is there one transaction that stands out to you uh, either because of the people involved or just like, hey, this is the exact type of transaction that we want to occur on our platform? Yeah, um, I got I got two. I'll, I, I can't say the name of the first one, but I'll share this first one because it's um, it this was this was kind of like one of those moments in a business where you're like, this is this is this is fucking awesome. Can I swear on this, by the way? Yeah, this is fucking awesome. So there was this kid in college who built this business to, let's call it um, 400,000 in recurring revenue. It was a platform that helped other students pass engineering tests at Google, Apple, and he sold it for like a million bucks. And he sent he sent me this heartfelt email where he like, made a down payment for his mom on a house and like paid off all his student loans. And I just asked for like a review. I was like, can I like, dude, fuck. Yeah. Like, like good for you, dude. Like, like that's life changing shit. Um, uh, but a more significant transaction, um, uh, push engage 
uh, was a company that sold for seven figures to a PE firm called Automotive. I don't know if if they would classify themselves as um, a PE firm, but it's a group. It's run by an individual named um, Sid Balkai, and he focuses on he runs um, WP Beginner if, you, if you've heard of that website. And he specifically looks to buy uh, WordPress websites. And I really like this story because I loved how um, Sied handled the transaction. So um, Sied met with the founder. Uh, the business was doing millions in revenue. It was also profitable. Um, had an LOI, LOI out to him within three days. And then they closed within less than 30, full cash. And then the founder stayed on for 90 days. And then now the founder has like a venture fund. Like, I think that's badass. And um, he had, and then this story I like a lot is because he previously tried selling the business with a broker and the broker, um, it's a well-named broker that people would probably recognize. So I won't name them. Um, They weren't able to sell the business and we were able to sell the business at, I believe a 30% markup from what uh, the broker was trying to sell the business at. So that was another moment. And this, these are moments where it was just me running the company. Just me. Like I'm setting up the profiles. I'm writing the newsletters. I'm scheduling the social media posts. I'm doing all these podcasts, like just for the love of, for the love of the game. And um, this guy, um, it, 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 I mean, it's just, it's, it's a crazy feeling when you're minting millionaires. Like, and the only thing I get, I, I have, probably five bottles of wine from people that that seems to be the thing is I get, and I don't drink wine either. Um, so I have a bunch of wine. Um, if anyone wants to come over and drink it, um, from people that have helped sell their companies. Um, but those, those are, I could, I could, I could share more, but those, those are the two that come to mind. Those, uh, those are great stories. And also getting, uh, getting wine, you don't have to drink it. You can just collect it. That's fine. Uh, talk to me about uh, Bootstrappers, the publication. Uh, it seems like you have uh, made tons of friends over at TechCrunch through this process, but kind of walk through, <laughs> uh, walk through uh, what is Bootstrappers and where the idea come from. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off with um, nothing but love for TechCrunch. I'm I'm a very positive guy, um, but I grew up reading that publication. It inspired me literally to be an entrepreneur. Um, and now I just feel it's kind of turned into a VC PR agency where they just write about funding rounds. That's their main focus. Um, that was even my personal experience, like pitching them microquire. Um, they ghosted me multiple times, like put time on my calendar. Um, you know, I, I get, you know, that stuff happens. It's not a big deal. Um, but it just kind of opened my eyes like, man, fuck, if it's this hard for me to get like, you know, mainstream press, it's gotta be really hard for other companies. Um, so I'm, I'm glad they didn't cover us because I think it really opened my eyes to, you know, what TechCrunch was in 2012, 2013 is this publication you wake up to every morning and read about these startups building, you know, these awesome things. And it wasn't, Hey, we just raised a hundred million dollars. It was like, we're just getting off the ground and it made you feel like you could really do it. Like, you know, like to back up a little bit. Um, so business apps wasn't a unique idea. 
there was other app builders in the market and I read about them on TechCrunch, literally. And most of the app builders at the time were focused on blogs and podcast RSS feeds and stuff. And I was like, what if we did this for businesses? So I literally credit them for like changing my life. Um, so, and I've written for TechCrunch personally, they covered my last company, which was boot bootstrapped, um, like a dozen times. Um, so I just, I tons of love for them. Um, but I felt there's just such a need to bring that sort of reporting back of like real company building stories. Um, and again, nothing, nothing wrong with funding rounds. I think a lot of people enjoy them. That's why, you know, they're, they're covered so often. Um, but I want to make the publication that I want to read. I want to hear about the entrepreneurs grinding it out, avoiding venture capital, focusing on profitability. Um, and so that's that's really what I'm doing. So that's what Bootstrappers is. It's going to be the opposite of TechCrunch. Um, we're going to focus on entrepreneurs that are just saying no to the the bullshit Silicon Valley narrative that we've been fed as entrepreneurs. Like, I say all the time to founders, like you do not need to build a billion dollar company to be successful. And also your chances of doing so are fucking very low, like, like very low, like just build a company. Like, like the part I don't understand about entrepreneurship today is this huge emphasis on, you know, building these unicorns. And then if you're successful, like what the fuck are you going to do with all that money? Like you're going to die with it. Like just, you know, I'm in the camp of me personally, you know, we've raised money for MicroQuire. I believe the market opportunity supports that. And I feel I can help, you know, potentially hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs achieve a similar outcome I did at business apps. Um, but I got to win under my belt first so I can take these risks. And so that's kind of my message to entrepreneurs is, you know, tune out the noise of TechCrunch, which is kind of like the people magazine of tech um, and build something profitable and sell for a couple million and secure your financial future. Um, so the publication, yeah, we're going to write about like, how'd you build a company? Like what struggles have you gone through? Like what, where'd you get the idea? We're not, we're not just puking out stories. We're interviewing founders. We're getting to know founders. We have one founder, uh, true story. One of our writers um, lives around the corner from a founder that we're going to be covering. And we're hiring a, a photographer to um, head over to his house and or his office and take some cool photos. So it's just going to be a much higher quality, just basically the publication that I want to exist. And then I feel that a lot of other um, bootstrap founders need to exist. And I guess the main point I'll kind of leave it is tech media today really, really does feel like it's reserved for venture back companies. It is extremely hard to get covered if you're a bootstrap company. And so um, that's a problem we're looking to fix. Um, and it ties in nicely to MicroWire. So, you know, Stripe has indie hackers, HubSpot has um, the hustle, and MicroWire is going to have bootstrappers. And our main goal is to just help these companies get the, you know, recognition that I think they deserve. Do you think that this helps uh, from a vertical integration of media 
uh, sort of this marketing for a platform like this? Like, is there any sort of uh, strategic thought process that you put into of, uh, of how marketing is changing for businesses? Absolutely. I think every single startup should be thinking about how to create their own media. Like, look at you, Pomp. Like, you're a baller, dude. Like, you got like a huge ass audience. Like, I see your tweets. Like, you tweet out, like, if you just wrote, like, hey, Andrew Gazdecki, you'd have like 10,000 people like it. And there's no context. Like, you have such a powerful audience. And that's the future of startups can't rely on gatekeepers anymore. Like, you can't. Like, you got to look at, like, other ways to stand out because um, the way I view startup competition is, you know, you may have a list of five main competitors, but you're real, you're really competing against people's attention. And so if you understand that and you deliver like the whole marketing strategy of microquire is deliver a ton of value. Like as an example, we sent out like 700 shirts, <laughs> like literally, I think you probably saw that in your Twitter feed where I just was retweeting everything and spammed everybody. Um, just deliver a ton of value to your audience and it pays off. Um, so that's our strategy at MicroQuires where, you know, we want to own our narrative. You know, we don't want someone else telling, you know, our narrative for us. And quite frankly, it's more powerful. And I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, working on this like thesis or thought process as we go. Cause it's kind of, I didn't come out of the gates with like, here's the book. Like I got it down. I know everything. Cause I don't like, I learn on the go. I'm a really fast learner. Um, but like the funding announcement is probably a great example. I did pitch that, um, to a couple of publications, but, um, we made the decision to, um, just post on Twitter ourselves. We saw over 20 million impressions. We saw, we broke every single record in terms of new customer signups, um, new premium buyers registered, new startups, you know, listing their companies. And I think that's kind of the future of how startups, startups need to start thinking differently about how they get the word out about their startups. Because every startup is just doing the same thing. They're just pitching the same blogs, pitching the same story, we raise some money, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you need to write your own new playbook. Like basically... Um, I believe we've gone through, you know, three, three waves of, you know, startup building. Um, the first wave was, um, let's call it in like 2010, uh, invention. So this is business apps. I was in the right place, right time. I got super fucking lucky with that business. I like, I didn't know anything. So I cannot take any credit of being like a genius, like, Oh, I no, I was in the right place, right time, but I went for it. Um, and the first version would never work today. Like it was complete garbage. Um, but we got customers and we reinvested and built over time. The second phase was when everyone was trying to figure out the best go-to-market model. So, you know, you got AEs, you got SDRs. Now we got account-based marketing. Um, everyone was trying to figure that out together, um, in like 2014. So the winners in, in 2010 were really just the first market. Um, that's become less important. And then, so basically invention. And then the second wave was who could build the best go to market the fastest. Uh, now we're entering this uh, new phase that I consider the Procter and Gamble, Gamble phase where brand is the most important aspect of your startup because it's, it's the last defensible mode. Like funding is no longer a barrier. Building the technology is no longer a barrier. There's 
countless but like just google like how to build a sales team obviously these are skill sets like you need to acquire as an entrepreneur and you should and you should learn up on them but um there's just so much information on these topics that you can't really have a competitive advantage by having more funding because more funding bigger team actually can do the opposite you can move slower um kind of a rant i i, I hope that was helpful pump I think that it's fascinating when you start thinking about uh, sometimes all you have to do is show people something's possible, right? You don't even necessarily have to, um, uh, you don't even have to uh, do it for them. You don't even have to actually help them with anything. If you can uh, actually go ahead and show somebody something is possible, it drastically increases their willingness uh, and their desire to um, you know, pursue it which I think is you know, something that you're doing here with the bootstrappers. Then on top of it, you also have the software that can help facilitate transactions, help buyers and sellers, et cetera. So it, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, when you zoom out, you look 20 years ahead. What do you hope this grows into from a micro-acquire standpoint? We want to change the way businesses are bought and sold, period. We want to make it so easy that you would be insane not to list your company on micro-acquire. So part of that is consolidating the market so we want to work with brokers we want to work with investment bankers we want to you know bring them business we want to we have you know 1300 plus startups listed on microware um a lot of them could probably use some help and guidance on um how to sell their business so you know one route could be like we could hire our own kind of team of brokers but then you know it's much more scalable if we're able to bring in the entire startup community, everyone involved in M&A transactions. So that's going to be the M&A directory that we're going to be launching probably by the time you release this, which is going to be fucking badass. We got people from like Goldman Sachs. Um, I hired a in-house um, attorney, which is kind of gangster. I think it's gangster. Um, so I got attorney on, on payroll. Uh, we hired an in-house um, California business broker. And this is something that a lot of um, people don't understand is to sell a business and to take a commission, you need to be a certified business broker, which is controlled by the, um, like, uh, what's it called? Uh, real estate thing, thingamajig. Um, like, you can't just go out and sell a company and take a commission. That's straight illegal, like jail time, two weeks. Um, if you don't believe me, hit up, uh, uh, 10 law firms. Um, cause I did. And if you find one that uh, has a different opinion, let me know. Um, so we hired an in-house business broker. Who's a badass. He, um, used to manage, he used to own his own business brokerage firm and he managed business brokers. So he's been leading up, um, the onboarding process of just hiring the best of the best of the, you know, he, he's, he's kind of, he has this quote where, you know, there's probably a thousand business brokers, only a hundred are really worth their salt. And so we're really looking to get the best of the best. And I think that's really important because when you're, when, you, when we start moving a market, so as we think, you know, where is this going to be in, did you say 20 years? Yeah, 20 years. Like when you think about how, uh, how far the business can go, 20, right? 20, 20 years. Okay. I'm, it's it's going to be like a VR decentralized You've controlled by robots in, in 20, 20 years. You're going to have to put on like VR goggles and then we'll actually have the motorcycle store and you can go in. Uh, no, totally joking. But um, uh, what was it? What was I trying to say? Basically, um, 
Yeah, we just we we want to attack every problem that startups go through um, when selling their company. Um, I've been through it personally. I know the problem. I, I have. I feel I have a true, unique insight into how fucking hard it is to sell a startup, even if it's a good startup. Like we, you know, we're able to attract offers. We were able to work with an investment bank. A lot of startups don't have that. Um, that luxury. Um, so we're starting on the lower end of the market, but as we move up market, you know, right now we're kind of like no brokers, like blah, 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 but you're really kind of leaving money on the table. If you don't have a professional buyer involved, like once we start to head up into the 20, 30, 40, $50 million acquisitions, you should hire like an M&A advisor or an investment bank. Um, and a lot of these people will do it at a lower cost than what you currently see, because another problem that we found out in the market is most investment banks and um, brokerage, they spend half their time on sales and marketing. So we can basically say, hey, like quit Goldman Sachs, just come work for us. We'll give you tons of deal flow and you don't have to deal with the bullshit meetings where you debate about a stupid like presentation for a week which is actually real feedback from uh, like um, one of the people that we're going to be onboarding. But um, so, you know, the future of microquire is, you know, we want to transform like, you know, the way I see basically the startup journey is, you know, we have product hunt for discovery. Um, that's where you launch. That's where you, you know, get discovered, you know, that's day one. Fuck. Yeah. And then, you know, if you want to raise um, capital, you have AngelList. Like Naval and Avlock, who's the CEO, they are doing phenomenal things um, for startups looking for capital and just making it super easy, like one-click funding, that sort of stuff. Um, we want to, you know, be the path for exits. So discovery, investing, exits will be microquire. That's kind of my vision. I think you are well on your way to seeing that happen because it seems like... Uh... You've got all the uh, all, all the right people, one, paying attention to the right types of companies being listed and the buyers uh, coming onto the platform. If you had to just, before we wrap up and do rapid fire questions, kind of give a pitch uh, for those that want to either buy businesses or uh, sell their business, what's the for micro acquire? Well, for startups, this is for you. We're building this for you. And we're not building this because we want to make a bunch of money or whatever. We, we're building this because we truly believe this needs to exist for the startup community. So it's completely free to list. Like you'll, you'll save money on fees. We can get you listed in 24 hours, rather than three to six months, and you'll sell for more. Like we just, we, we've built a better, it blows, it blows my mind. Like it, it, it really does. And we still have a long ways to go. Um, and then for buyers, um, it, it, it's a motorcycle shop of startups. Like just go in there. If you like crypto companies, e-commerce, direct to consumers, uh, direct to consumer companies, SaaS companies, B2B SaaS, low touch SaaS, like we have literally everything and it, it it kind of blows my mind at the traction we've been able to receive and we'd love to help you sell and then if you do um give me a review send me a bottle of wine i love the pitch all right last three <laughs> questions and you get to ask me one to finish up first one is what's the most important book that you've ever read uh how to get rich by felix dennis um it has a terrible title it's a terror like it's not a book about how to get rich so 
Um, I've been very fortunate with the people that I've worked with at previous companies. Shout out to Christian Friedland. He started a company called build.com and he gave a presentation at Chico state before he invested in business apps. And he said two things. He, he said, read how to get rich by Felix Dennis and don't work at enterprise rent a car. I did both of those things and life worked out pretty well for me, I think. Um, but the book is just this very honest story about what it's like and what it kind of takes to get rich. Um, and it's not for everyone and it shouldn't be for everyone. Like there's a lot of sacrifices you have to make. Um, the guy also was just very candid of some of his personal problems. It's just such a great read into the inside of someone like, what's it really like to be a millionaire? That's basically what the book is about. Um, and some, some key takeaways I took from that book was um, equity isn't the most important thing. It's the only thing that matters. And so that was a big driver of why I didn't raise money at business apps. Um, so ne next question. Sleep schedule. I used to sleep five or six hours. Now I sleep eight or nine and I sleep on the uh, eight sleep thermoregulated bed and then like literally track down Mateo and Alex. Like I have to invest in this. I saw, I saw that tweet and I like, I actually yeah. went to the website and I, I think I'm going to buy one. Like, so, oh, nice. I, so what's your sleep schedule? How, how, like, what is it now and how has it changed over the years? Um, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a big advocate of sleep. If you don't sleep well, you make bad decisions and you feel like shit and you need to take care of yourself as a startup founder. Like, like what I signed up for microquire is I'm going to be building this company for a decade. Like if I'm sleeping four hours a night, like I'm not going to last. I learned that from my first company, um, where I was working, you know, so much now I just focus on empowering my team delegating. Um, so to answer your question, sleep schedule, I have, I, I'm basically on the East coast. Um, my son, I, we put him in bed around like seven, I'm asleep by like nine and then I wake up at like five. So I get, um, solid eight hours. That is, uh, that's pretty good. The, uh, how do you go to sleep at 9 PM? I, a lot of people struggle with this. It's probably the number one thing people ask me about sleep. How do you go to sleep earlier? What, what do you do? Do you have like a routine or anything? Um, I take candidly, um, I take melatonin every night, um, which, which probably is bad for you. So I don't recommend it, but my thought process process around that is bad sleep. Cause I have a mind that's always just kind of working. And especially when you really start loving what you're doing, it's hard to turn that, you know, turbo engine in your mind off. So, um, I'll take like, you know, a, a, small like melatonin thing and then um get kind of drowsy and then um i put my phone in a, another room and this is a big tip for people who can't wake up early like it's just hard put your phone in another room like your kitchen and then turn your alarm your alarm on super loud so 5 a.m comes around you got to get up and get up at the same time every day like have a routine that you stick to um, but phone in the other room is a game because you got to get up and then my phone's downstairs. Like if I don't get to it in time, my son's waking up. Um, so I rush down and then it's right next to, Oh, guess what? My coffee machine. So that's, that's my morning routine. That's a pretty good one. I like the, uh, no phone in the bedroom. I feel like that has a massive impact. Third question, aliens, are you a believer or a non-believer? Uh, 
that, I, I, I like that question. I, I, I'm a believer. I think statistically it's impossible that there's not something else out there. Like the, like the universe is infinite and the mind can't comprehend infinite. So when you factor in infinite and you say, Oh no, it's not like, yeah, they're out there. Uh, I, I just hope they're cool and it's not like some Independence Day shit or something like that. <laughs> I think that uh, hopefully they will be cool. That that's my hope as well. What if, uh, what, if I, what if what if what if they dropped in and they're like all startup experts and they just start disrupting like everything? That suck. Yeah, you got to remember that. Uh, I I think that as threat uh, risks rise, so do defenses. And so uh, I, I tend to think that we'll be okay. Hopefully, who who knows for sure, but hopefully. What well, one question do you have for me to uh, to wrap us up? Uh, what do you like to do for fun? Read, go on walks with my wife, and uh, learn. It's it kind of sounds weird, but like if you give me like an afternoon of free time, like that's pretty much the three things that I'll do. Is either I'll go try to like learn something new, I'll just kind of chill out uh, and read, whether it's you know. Uh, actually read on like a, a computer on a physical book or uh, listen to an audio book. Uh, and then I try every day to, uh, to go for a walk with my wife. So it's pretty much it. I, I literally do kind of the, the exact same thing. Like every day, me and my wife, um, we'll walk our son up to, you know, a restaurant. Um, but, uh, an- another question, um, cause I'm also an avid reader. Um, what's your favorite book? My favorite book, I don't think I have a favorite, like just one book. Uh, I always tell people the three most impactful books for me uh, were Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, Thinking Girl Rich, and The Richest Man in Babylon. Uh, those three books I read all around the same time when I was uh, 20, 21 years old. And uh, they definitely um, you know, kind of changed the way that I, I thought about it. Uh, the second thing I would say is probably one of the more, uh, important books that I've read, uh, guns, germs, and steel, uh, Jared diamond. That's a great one. And then I would say that, uh, maybe like one of the the more interesting ones that I think of often, I read two books at the same time, uh, that I thought were pretty good, uh, super forecasters and algorithms to live by. And if you read those two books kind of together, uh, they tend to uh, kind of change the way you think about like, you know, humans really suck at forecasting, do it, being disciplined, et cetera. And computers are probably better at, you know, at both of those things than us. Oh, definitely. I got one more question for you. Who's, um, uh, I'm going to read all those books and then I'll, I'll, I'll send you like uh, a learning just to show. I read it a lot. Um, I'm, I'm an avid, that's, also, just to add to my morning routine, um, I wake up at five. Um, I usually will try to meditate a little bit. Um, and then I'll do a short workout, nothing major, 15 minutes. I'm not trying to be a bodybuilder. Um, and then I get to work. Um, and I think that's very important because it clears your mind. It gets you on the right pace. It gives you energy. Um, and then I read. Um, so. Uh, last question for you. Um, who's your favorite entrepreneur right now? And you can't say Elon Musk. Oh, no, it's definitely not uh, somebody <laughs> like that. Um, it, it's probably, I, I don't think that, you know, and this is going to be probably uh, inflammatory to some people, but like, I, 
I don't think it's anywhere near the same thing when you're running a tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollar company, right? Obviously. Um, yes, you can be kind of innovative. You can, you know, be hard charging, all this kind of stuff, but there's so much delegation that goes on. Like you're more of a, a significant leader. Uh, you're a manager. You have to have a different skill set to do that. Uh, the great entrepreneurs transition and, and acquire that skill set and continue to do it. Um, and so some of you would be like, oh, that's not an entrepreneur. You're like a corporate executive. I think it's hard to argue that. Like I wouldn't go that far. Uh, but I do think it's a different skill set. The people that I think um, are trying to do like the really, really hard stuff uh, at the earliest stage. That to me is the is the most fun. Um, as you can tell, I'm not going to pick just one, but I think that it's this idea of taking an idea and like the zero to one type uh, action, not necessarily like the Peter Thiel, like, oh, you've got to create something brand new, but whether it is a small business that literally like, hey, I'm going to set up a restaurant or it is, you know, the next Google, Facebook, whatever. Uh, I think that that like action of going from, you know, inaction and, and no inertia to like, okay, I got started. That's the most fun time because that's the one that relies the most heavily on the individual themselves. Cause usually they don't have anything else. It's just that, right. You, you talked about running micro acquire. It was just you. Uh, to me, that's the kind of the, the most exciting fun time. We are, we, uh, if I come out to Miami, I'm going to buy you dinner, man. Cause I think we have a lot in common. I, I, I kind of, revert to the same question, same answer where I got respect for entrepreneurs. All anyone chasing their dreams. Hell yeah. Where can we send people to find out more about micro acquire or follow you on the internet? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at a gas If you can spell that, I'm not going to spell it for you. I'm going to send you an Easter egg hunt or just, um, reach out to me at Andrew at microacquire.com. I love connecting with entrepreneurs. Um, I'm happy to share feedback questions on your business, um, help any way I can. Um, yeah, or just go to microquire.com, sign up, check it out. Um, we'd love your feedback. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thank you so much for doing this. I think people learned a lot. If anyone is trying to buy or sell a startup, please go to microquire.com and, uh, we'll definitely have to do this again in the future. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Pump.